Hippity hoppity Hitler's on his way. Plus, we have more Oscar talk. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to Film Critics Weekly. It's the White Guy Show again today with me <laughs> and Dimitri Panos here for Film Critics Weekly. Hey, I'm talking Olive. about Oscars Olive and I'm Hitler. Greek. So and there Hitler. you go. Oscars and Hitler. What better show can you ask for than those two topics? There you go. Um, so I, of course, am Scott Menzel, founder of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. And with me, as always, if you didn't take it from that introduction, Dimitri Panos. Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. And, and you know, the, the, the white guys talking movies... Sounds like a new show. <laughs> yeah, why, why, you know, why two Jews on, you know, there was a YouTube channel, two Jews on film. It's a, uh, unfortunate <laughs> you're not you're not Jewish. We could have had to brought that back, but Jew you and know. a Greek. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, so um, we want to open up this this show today, of course, talking about the movie pick of the week, and then we're going to go into more of our Oscar conversation. Um, all right, so you know, there was a lot of movies that came out this week. Um, and the the group decided to go with the indie movie for this week, and that of course is Jojo Rabbit. So congratulations, uh, Fox Searchlight, Taika Waititi, and Scarlett Johansson, and the entire cast and crew of that movie. You are the movie pick of the week for LAOFCS. So, well deserved, in my opinion. There you go. I, I so so, so let, we're gonna do a, a very quick review of this movie. Um, Dimitri, what is, what is this movie about? What is Jojo Rabbit about? Jojo Rabbit, little, it's about little Jojo Bretzler, 10-year-old Jojo Bretzler, who uh, wants to so badly be part of the Nazi party. And he's on the eve of going to a, 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 a Hitler youth camp, and he, and he can't... He, he, his, his, his enthusiasm, he's so stoked for this that his imaginary friend is Hitler, played by Taika. Uh, and the the movie is a journey. It's a journey, and, and it's so many things to me. It's a satire. It's it's endearing. Um, it, it has emotional resonance, and it's in a sense. Can you call it a coming of age story if it only spans six months out of a ten year old's <laughs> life? And I say yes, you can, because I, I do believe after watching it the second time, it's like this is a coming of age story because our little Jojo Bretzler has an arc, a full-on arc. And I really believe that this movie, and I know you disagree, but the movie to me, I found it to be humorous. Uh, at times I asked myself, should I be watching, should I be laughing at this? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. A, why? It's hysterical. B, Mel Brooks has always been making fun of Nazis as well, and other people too, from Stanley Kubrick and, uh, you know, with, with Dr. Strangelove, which I say... From a satire point of view, this is this generation's, in a sense, Dr. Strangelove. And I really, watching it the second time, it is really, uh, it emotionally resonated with me, even more so the first time. I picked up on little cues, and there are, there are wonderful payoffs, uh, I felt, in this movie. And to go on little JoJo's journey, it really is an arc, and it's one that's very well paid off. I think... Uh, so for me, it ends up in definitely my top ten, perhaps even my top five. 
Interesting. Yes. Um, so uh, this should be said. Me and Dimitri both saw this movie originally at the world premiere at the Toronto right. International Film Festival. Um, I had very high expectations for this film, uh, as I think you did as well. Um, Taika Waititi is always a director who I think um, makes great comedies, very, very good in terms of indie films. Uh, been a big fan of his work, What mm-hmm. You Do in the Shadows and The Hunt for Wilder People. Really liked his work. So, therefore, having those as examples, I went into this film, and the idea of making a, a movie about Hitler was, was, I was on board for this movie. I was so totally sold about this movie. And then I sat down, I watched it, and I, I know you think it works very well as a comedy. A lot of pe- There's been a lot of debate about this movie, whether it works as a comedy and satire, uh, and I fall on the other end of this, the spectrum where I say it does not work as a comedy or a satire, but rather a dramatic film. And my biggest takeaway from the movie after seeing it, because I did go back and watch it again because I felt crazy. I felt like a crazy person because so many of my my friends and and people of LAOFCS, who I value their opinions greatly, told me, like, I really, really love this movie. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. So I wanted to give it a second look, and I went in with an open mind. And I watched it again, and I, I picked up definitely some stuff with the relationship aspects, which only reinforce my feelings that this movie should have been a dramatic movie instead of a comedy because the drama of it works so well. It works well as a mother-son story. It works well as a boy-meets-girl story. I love that aspect of it. When it comes to the jokes in this movie... Um, I feel like it, it's it's a combination of a Mel Brooks movie and a Wes Anderson movie. Hmm. And the way I can best describe this movie is that uh, Taika saw a Wes Anderson movie and he remembered the producers and he said, you know what, what would happen if we put those two in a blender? Uh, that's what we're going to make with this movie. And again, it works for some people. I didn't, I didn't dislike this movie. I just was disappointed by it. There was something, uh, I'm going to bring up something that you said that I that I uh, don't um, or that I do actually agree with uh, because you used a word safe. Yes. You felt it was safe. And after the first time watching it, I remember you saying that uh, and um, believe it or not, I do listen to you. <laughs> I do listen to other people's opinions and I take it to heart and I thought about it and I agreed. Uh, yes, I do think to an extent, it's safe, but I think that too is why um, it has a, a good shot of it at the very least being nominated for Best Picture. Um, you know, making fun of Germans, making fun, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily make fun of the Holocaust as much as it right. makes fun of Nazism. But it, for me, that was the satire because this, this movie really is an anti, it's a campaign for anti hate. Right. And there it's there are two movies um that have been that have come out this year this one included and also uh Joker where they're time periods they they take place in a specific time but they mirror today's society mm-hmm. and that i found especially after watching it twice uh i felt that that too was something else that that social relevance to the movie to today that that Jojo Rabbit has because it takes place in the 30s for, you know 40s um, that too I really uh, enjoyed and that's where I found the satire yeah um, but you're right I do agree with you like you felt it should have had more punch where, where I believe I felt like 
it was right on target. But I understand what you're saying about yeah, safe. and I Go. mean it's it's interesting that you brought up Jojo um, um, Jojo Rabbit and Joker because I think Jojo Rabbit is a type of film that is is what people look for when they go to the movies right like they want they want to they want to feel good they want to have some lighthearted laughs yeah. and they they love the characters you know like the the two little kids in this movie uh Thomas and Mackenzie who was in Leave No Trace which if you have not seen Leave No Trace do that it's very great and it really got no buzz last year when it came out and uh Roman Griffin uh Griffin Davis who plays Jojo also mm-hmm. very good these two kids to me really elevate the film that combined with Scarlett Johansson's performance but going back to the point about Jojo versus Joker is that Joker basically uh, a lot of people have said this where it holds up a mirror to society and makes us like kind of like reflect and a lot of people don't like that we don't like looking at ourselves in the mirror and kind Mm of um, you know saying like oh this is dark it doesn't have a happy ending it kind of leaves you very very cold and kind of like leaves you thinking like oh that was kind of messed up is that really how we treat people it's so dark and gritty and like uh, you know there's no no hope in the world where this movie just is like oh let's dance and hug and smile and there's nothing wrong with two of these movies existing and that's why I think they're it, it's interesting that they've come out a couple weeks apart and they're having very similar reactions absolutely which is which is amazing because there's so many people who really don't like Joker because of the fact that it's so dark and they're like oh there's no there's no context to this <laughs> right? movie it's just hating it's hating yeah. and then other people are saying this movie offers like free hugs and things right. of that nature Jojo Rabbit yeah. which I do agree with and it's it, it's funny to me because I I, I watched this movie uh, you know especially for the second time and I just found so much stuff to admire about it yeah. but I just I can't get past the- Taika, I can't get past really? him because he is the him and Rebel Wilson do. Rebel Wilson is just even with the German accent and whatnot, is just doing a Rebel Wilson with a German accent. Right. She's saying a random line. She walks onto the scene, says some random line, walks off the scene, walks out of the scene, and that's it. And that's kind of all she does throughout this entire movie. And then Taika just feels like a recycled. You know, if Saturday, Saturday Night Live was doing a sketch on Hitler, it would be Taika Watiki's version of Hitler. That's hmm. I literally, and every time he popped up, I just kind of said, "Oh man, he's back." You know, and again, I know again people disagree with me on it. I, I just didn't think it, it it worked well in the tone of shifting. Yeah. I, but then, like the in the second half of the movie, I don't. I wonder if you agree with me on this. To me, the second half of the movie is so much stronger than the first half of the movie. Well, the second half of the movie, well, a major turn happens. Yeah, right, right, no, right. No, no, spoiler free over here, but but a couple of there a couple of major turns happen in the second part of the movie. And where I disagree with the Taika part is, and Taika has said this of himself, uh, you know. You're playing Hitler, like, and he's like, "Yeah, I could see of no bigger insult to the man <laughs> other than me playing right. him." And I felt the buffoonish quality to Hitler, like when they were running through the woods um, with with JoJo and his imaginary Hitler friend. I thought that was like hysterical. But two in the movie, his imaginary friend, like JoJo, is going through changes. He's going through changes of perception. And there's one scene in particular in which that scene is really dominant. Be- it, again, I don't want to give anything away, but I believe that that Hitler character 
was changing along with our character and the way our character was mentally processing his imaginary friend. Um, so in the dancing and everything like that, look, you don't want to see me dancing because I am a white man with no rhythm. <laughs> but, but I will say the reason for the dancing that in it with from within itself is inspiring and too and again it was one of those little things that it's like from a screenplay standpoint he hits all his plot points very on purpose very assuredly yes and there's a reason like there's little waste in the film too um, this movie does not overstay its welcome. Right. This is just just a hair under two hours. It's, it's uh, I think an hour and forty five before yeah. the credits are rolling. So again, it doesn't it doesn't overstay it. It didn't overstay its welcome for me, even watching it a second time. And I would most likely get it on Blu ray. Uh, yeah, I just felt that these little things that happen within the movie, there are certain nice emotional payoffs. And you go, yes. There's symbolism. There's certain things like that that I believe too can relate to today as far as hate, as far as freedom, as as far as all of these things. And I liked what it had to say, and I picked up a little bit more on it, and I got a little bit more emotional watching it the second yeah. time that I didn't pick up watching the well, first Well, you time. know, I was thinking about this when I was watching again yesterday. Um, so, obviously, the, the, the run-on gag in the movie is is that Hitler is, is his imaginary friend, right? right. But... It's a little problematic, right? Because of the fact that the other people in the world acknowledge that Hitler exists. So, like, that's kind of confusing a little bit, right? Like, if you think about it, like, if if the character essentially exists and all these people who are not JoJo are mentioning him, mm -hmm. there's this, like, strange... Like, I, I don't know, like, it, it, I was just thinking about it, like... I've never seen something do this before, where like there's some somebody exists, but then is also imaginary character. How does that work? Well, I I mean, again, I think this is great anatomy of a movie discussion. <laughs> but, you know, we'll have we'll have you back on for that. But I think for me, anyways, is like for a ten year old boy who who really wanted to be a part of the Nazi Party. Yeah, it was his goal in life, and he wanted to go to the Hitler Youth. To him, Hitler is an idol. And I think for a 10-year-old boy, I mean, what do I know? I, other than myself being 10, I can't speak for you. I, but, you know, you could imagine that if he idolized Hitler as being his superhero, I could see 10-year-old boys thinking that they've befriended Spider-Man or the Hulk or Superman or being Batman. You know, whatever is in a kid's imagination. And that's how I took it. Not just because, I mean, all of those superheroes quote-unquote exist to an extent, but you also can look at people who you idolize who exist in today's world right. and, and bring that out as, I idolize this person so much. Like some people, there was a time where people idolized the President of the United States or <laughs> yes. they idolized yes, astronauts or they idolized certain kind of heroes of the day um, or, or actors for say so who knows in the imagination of a 10-year-old child right. it didn't bother me because we knew that we knew that hitler existed the the characters know right how and that's the other thing too because some characters were very much nazis and very much lock and step 
yeah. with what was going on, where the other people in the movie who are very much aware of Hitler have a completely different perception of the man. So it's interesting that little Jojo, who's a 10-year-old, who has really, at 10 years old, doesn't have the wherewithal yet. He doesn't have the life within him, the life experience, I mean, to say what's good and what's bad yet. And that, to me, is the journey. That's the journey that he goes about what hate is and what it can mean. And that's why I, I also saw that, that imag- his imaginary friend was changing perception towards JoJo, and JoJo was having this all in his head as a 10-year-old. I mean, it's pretty heady stuff but, but, when you're but, talking but, but, about but when a you think of, but Yes, but when you think about it, listen... The points, that, the points, the points that you made, right? Like it's it's valid because you you don't like we don't know celebrities and we a lot of people worship celebrities, musicians, sure. whatever, right? So I understand that play, okay. But when you think about it from an imaginary friend's perspective, right? I feel like there's something else in the movie that it does kind of like doesn't dive deep enough into. Okay. Because like if if the person does exist. Yes. Then it's not technically an imaginary friend. Well, it is to him because how does Hitler exist to this 10-year-old Jojo Rabbit? Right. He, he only knows of the Nazi party because he was born, raised in Germany. He only knows of the Nazi party in that real in that reality as being right in might. Right. Being together. He doesn't know. He's unawares of the the flip side of what Hitler means. And to Jojo, what better friend... Like, if you're going to idolize him and you make Hitler look like a cartoon character, like, like, you know, like that purple dinosaur. Yeah. Like, because that's what he is, in a sense. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he's Barney. And... But that's how a 10-year-old... Because a 10-year-old's really not paying attention to the newsreels right. as much. And again, if you're in Nazi Germany and you are a Nazi, you're, you look at Hitler as one way and other people look at him in a completely I, I different just, way. I just feel that for a 10-year-old boy who can't really comprehend, yeah. right? for him, his Hitler is much different than any other Hitler we've ever seen before. Right. Except as the movie... I just guess I would have liked to see more of that. You know, like it's it's something else where, you know, upon watching it, you know, again for a second time. And this is why I, I highly recommend when you watch movies, if you like them or if you, you feel like you miss something and other people say that they love something, it's always great to go back and watch it movies is. again because you can have conversations like this. To me, um, watching that and, and just there, there was uh, – to me, it didn't bother me the first time. This was something that I actually picked up that bothered me a little bit more the, the second, second time. time. Yes. Because I'm watching it and I'm like, well, this car- you know, this person does exist. And yes. everyone else does acknowledge that this person exists. And then I was thinking, like you were saying, okay, is this a, is this a statement on like how we worship or idolize celebrities or people, you know, people in power, like the president, stuff like that. But then I felt like there wasn't enough discussed about that either, mm-hmm. like where it just kind of it was surface level. You know, and that this, goes back to your point of safe. Yeah, and it's, I, it's, that's, I know it does, and that, that's where I keep when I watch this movie again. Right. I just it, it, it keeps giving me this illusion that it's pushing boundaries, that right. it's being daring, but really, it's it's all conventional. It's all surface level stuff. It's not it's not 
digging deep. Well, that's so, where we agree to disagree yeah, to an extent. So, but, yeah. it, I mean, again, you're right about conversation. I want to say yes. I can't agree with you more about the, the, the statement about rewatching movies. Yes. Um, it is great. Like, we each have seen Joker a couple of times. Yes. And to me, that movie got better. Uh, as you watch it, uh, movies like music too. I think that that they grow, they they can become better, uh, especially if you give them time to breathe. Like like for Jojo Rabbit, for example, I think is a decent example. Whereas we saw it in Toronto, which seems like it was decades ago, <laughs> but know. it was only like a couple of months ago, right? Yeah. I hadn't seen it. It was since only then. a month ago, a month and a half, a month and a half. She's oh, <laughs> not even a couple of months, right? So. Yeah, I had that buffer. So going into it again and rewatching, I was like, "Wow!" And I bet because I want to see Parasite again. Yeah, and that too is another very well nuanced movie where little things, you know, could pay off later on. But I, that's what I love about movies and even music because you can you can put them aside for a while, and then you can go months, years later. You can listen to a song or watch a movie, and it's almost as if you're watching with new eyes or listening with new ears. The movie or and or song will take on a whole new life of its own as we grow older. Um, and that's one of the beautiful things about the medium of cinema yeah. is that if it leaves that lasting impression and then you go back and see it and you can pick up something else. Sometimes, though, on movies, I, you know, <laughs> you can find things yeah. that you go, hmm, OK, maybe I was wrong in my original assessment. But that's that's the beautiful thing about this art form. Uh, is that you're able to do it. I, with Jojo Rabbit, I, end, I did end up liking it more, only because I saw little emotional, dramatic things that I I knew I watched the movie, but I picked up on them. They oh, were more, they, they were brought out more for me because I had already, you have that, like, waves I can see again, but you have that first viewing, the movie washes over you. Yeah. It's like a wave, and you're like, wow, you have to decompress it, analyze it. But when you go in for that second time again, you already are knowing what to expect, so more aspects can come out. Yeah. No, and I, I'm, I'm glad you pointed this out. I mean, to be, to be fair to this movie... <clears throat> I, I, I'm never going to come out of this movie and say I love it. Right. I'm going to come out of this movie after a second viewing and say that it, it it's a good movie. It had the potential to be great, but it didn't get there for me. Right. But that being said, I do still recommend this movie. And I do feel like I enjoyed it a little bit more the second time around, even though I found more that I didn't like about it. But mm. I also... Realized that some of the things that I was kind of downplaying a little bit, like the emotional ties, mm. how strong they were yeah. and how effective they were. Yes. So that's why I said, like, I think this movie works from a dramatic standpoint more than a comedy. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, what would you give it? Uh, uh, we're doing oh, a, a, a I gave it. I gave it uh, out of my own review system, which is my finger system, uh, five being the best, one being the worst. Uh, I gave it five. I gave it the high five. So you got. Five. So it's an A for you. It's an A for me. Okay. Yeah, it's an a for uh, me. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to probably give it a B. A B. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, not even a little B plus. No, not a, not a B plus. No, no, no. Def, <laughs> definitely not definitely a B plus. Not a B plus. <laughs> no, no. That get, that raises it up like in my rating scale. I do out of ten. It's like an extra point five. <laughs> and uh, I was actually debating about giving it a B minus oh. originally. Second view and brought it up to a B. So okay, fair. but yeah. So fair. I I think this is a movie that um you know you should definitely see. 
Uh, my biggest takeaway from this movie is to see how well it holds up in the years to come. Yes. Because is it going to be another movie that we talk about a lot now, but it's going to end up being like a artist or a green book, something that just kind of, yeah, it was there that year, and then we don't really talk about it all that much. That'll be interesting, too, and it will be interesting to see audience reaction uh, across the board for this movie and how they're going to perceive it. Um, again, I do... Th- I think we talked regarding like Joker in this movie. They're movies of their times, time being right now. Yes. And Taika has said this about Jojo Rabbit. Um, and that's what, by placing it back in that era, um, to me, it could end up making it timeless. As I said, I'm going to buy it on Blu ray. Uh, I really hope they don't cheap out on, on special features on this because I, I think. The filming of this movie, to me, would be a fascinating look um, from script to screen uh, and and how Taika put this all together and got the cast uh, together. And just filming this movie, I think, would be... I really... Just don't cheap out. They've been cheaping out on special features on Blu-ray. Um, so I'll get it. For me, there's a rewatchability, obviously, for you. Not, well, you start twice. Yeah, yeah. That's all one can yeah. ask. And I, I mean, that's my, that's my goal uh, this year, and then we'll move on from this topic. But one of the things that I w- would tell you, and this is something that I think is very important as a critic, is that, uh, as Dimitri kind of uh, mentioned earlier, is that you watch a movie once, and if you consider it one of your best of the year, you should have no problem whatsoever going back and watching a second time to see exactly where it will fit in that list or if it drops off that list. Could because I, I do think that's, that that does happen. But um, that's just a tip for me. Always see a movie twice, uh, especially if it's something that you feel like you really love or you have a strong disagreement on where others say that they'd like Unless it. it's a movie like The Lighthouse. No, which you don't, I don't have, ever to, you have to. You don't see listen. You don't have again. to. No, <laughs> but, there's no reason to see like not an R teen movie over and over again or like something like that. But there's a reason to see this these one, types of movies. This one, I was uh, I was happy to have been invited uh, and, and to go see it again. So, and I know I'm looking forward to seeing Parasite again too. Yeah. So, all right, all right. So now we're going to move over to our, um, our our awards coverage, our our Oscar predictions, and as as per usual, we're going to continue on the trend of deep diving into the studios instead of actually doing it as the categories. We're going to be starting to do that in the next couple of weeks. But we wanted to go through all the studios individually. And uh, kicking off uh, today, we're going to talk about Universal Studios. Uh, they have quite a few movies that they're they're hopeful. Uh, very few that I think are actually going to make a dent whatsoever this award season. I, I agree looking at this list. I do agree with you. So uh, out of the ones on this list, which ones do you which one or two do you feel has the greatest chance of being nominated for any category? Okay, so so just so that our, our, our listening audience, viewing audience is a, a no, so, so on the list is Us 1917, which hasn't come out yet, neither has Queen and Slim, uh, Cats uh, hasn't come out yet. Uh, and then the, the movies that have come out, well, Us has come out, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, Abominable, and then The Secret Life of Pets 2. Of this list, to me, the one that's worthy, the, the one that's worthy of any type of nomination would be How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. 
for animation for best animated. I'm not sure it'll how it'll fare up against Frozen 2, but to me, the How to Train Your Dragon series as a series is fantastic. As a standalone movie, I think this is fantastic. They really wove uh, an amazing series in this movie and talk about emotional resonance and relevancy today about friendship. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon has left on a, it flies on a high note yeah. for me, and it is the one movie that I feel deserves to be in the best animated category. Uh, I completely agree, and you know, and, and this is where the problem lies. Outside <laughs> of Toy Story, which I, Toy Story I, I, I well, with right. Toy Story, now right. with Toy Story 4, Wasn't which is also going to be in right. this category, uh, I don't think that there has been another animated trilogy that has been as strong no. as How to Train Your Dragon. No, this reminds me of Pixar. Yeah, and that's it does. That's how well That's it's how written. good it is. <laughs> that's how good. And the problem with it is, is the fact that it's going up against Pixar. Yeah. Which is, is, is very problematic because not only is it going up against Pixar, it's actually just going up against Disney with Frozen 2. So I, I, I see that both How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, and Abominable both being nominated for mm-hmm. Best Animated Film, but unfortunately, both will lose. Yeah. <laughs> because it's going to go to one of the Mouse House projects. More than likely. Uh, and you're right. Uh, sometimes it's just not fair. But How to Train Your Dragon is as close to being, the entire series is as oh, close yeah. to being Pixar without it being Pixar. Yeah. And this is really a series for young and old. And it's a series that you can revisit each movie. Um, and they still work. They're they're not aging. Like they're becoming they're becoming really good timeless animated movies that tell good stories about relationships and about growing up, um, which I find to be like again these are the themes that usually get in a Pixar movie, uh, and it's not Pixar, and it really works really well. I agree with you. I think it's it, it's a shame. If it was any other, you know, year, if it were going up against any other studio, I think they would have a really strong chance of of of, of winning. But it's just Toy Story four, you know, for a, a trilogy that already was perfect, being a fourth film that actually continued that trend. And it and and so many people thought. I agree with yeah. you. Everyone, it was unnecessary. Yeah, like, everyone. Well, how are you going to do this? Yeah. So I think too that lends to the surprise as to how good Toy Story Four is. You know, there's another movie on there on here that I think need be discussed too, and that's Us. Yes. Right. So this is Jordan Peele's um, uh, sophomore, sophomore. Uh, uh, directorial uh, movie. And he was coming off of Get Out, which got so much buzz. And again, a movie that was released earlier in that year, but people remembered it. It was out on Blu-ray. A lot of so a lot of people were continuing to watch it. But it had this buzz going into Oscar talk uh, for, uh, of that year. This one, I'm not us. Yeah. Us came out. People liked it. They might not have liked it. Got some good reviews, but I don't hear. It. Any talk about no, us? No, uh, us. You know, us came out. It was at South by. It opened to pretty rave reviews out of South by. Um, you know, give it to to Universal for premiering it at the festival. They, they they premiered Get Out at Sundance. So there there's obviously an audience for this, especially at South by, where they love genre movies. That's mm-hmm. the big thing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, other movies like that have opened mm-hmm. a quiet place. So they knew what they were doing. And the thing is, is that Lapita, who is, the, I think, out of this entire movie, 
if there was any talks about someone being nominated, I, I would say would be her for the movie. I don't think anything else about I, and I hate to say this because I've watched this movie again. I just don't think it's it's that strong. I mean, Get Out was a movie that I, I watched four or five times. I picked up something new. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. Us, I don't. I, I know we want to we want to think that there's so much to this, but I don't feel like it has as much as Get Out. And Lapita is the only person, but there's such a strong lineup of female performances this year. Yeah. It's it's kind of hard to see if she's going to be in the conversation. Although I know Universal wants it, she was fantastic, and 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 this is uh, one of those times we're in complete agreement uh, about this movie. I think Lapita is is deserving. Um, she does give a transformational uh, performance, and the Academy loves that kind oh, yeah. of thing. But you have so uh, many of dual, them. Yeah, I know. But you know, she's playing the dual role. Uh, she was fantastic. But again, there's just there's just this time. Of year, uh, what year did Get Out come out? Uh, what did two thousand seventeen? Okay, this the same time, the same time in a uh, year in twenty seventeen, people were still talking about Get Out yeah. and leading into the Academy race. There was real a lot of talk about Get Out. Where I'm not feeling the same thing for us. And I know awards campaigns are just starting, but I'm not even hearing much about Lupita. No. Um, which to me is kind of a shame because I agree a hundred percent. She is the well, she's the she's the linchpin of this entire movie. <laughs> yeah. Like she that that performance has to work. That characters have to work, and the performance you know has to be perfect for you to even approach this movie. And she is she is motherly and is and, and terrifying. Yeah, uh, and and she does this whole thing with her voice. Uh, it's a great performance to watch. I just don't see the same buzz as Get Out. No, I don't. I just want to ask a quick question for you both of y'all. Um, you know, she plays two characters in this film. Do you think that hinders her chance of any nomination? Does that ever happen with the Oscars for someone who plays two characters in a movie? Does that hinder their, their chances of getting nominated? Or can they get nominated for the same, for the movie, but both characters? No, I don't think that would have any, I don't think that would have any effect on the film because it's not like she's playing like different roles it's like the same same character just a a different version of that character yeah, yeah it wouldn't be um uh not uh, what was the movie about the, the 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 woman who had multiple personalities yeah because you would nominate on what do you think of like James McAvoy and like that well movie? yeah well even like even though yeah even like split and such like you would nominate the performance yeah like just the performance as a whole not necessarily like which character you liked better yeah so i don't think i think if anything her playing the two roles would be more of a guarantee right or a lock yeah yeah because she's playing two very different characters as i said one is protective and motherly and the other one is just terrifyingly dangerous yeah and is a monster and they play against each other as well. So you you praise that performance and what it took to 
to have that happen. So, oh, and by the way, that is Ryan Nielsen. Uh, not the voice of God. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> he is producing our show today, doing all our uh, our zeros and ones, so to speak. So I uh, just wanted to say thanks for chiming yeah, in, Ryan. Hey, and give him credit for, for chiming in. It's actually it's a really solid question, but I don't think in the academy I have ever seen whenever no. a person has played dual roles, even. Even when you take somebody, because uh, I, I mentioned this, Dr. Strangelove, yeah. Peter Sellers, you would nominate Peter Sellers for his role. He played three or four roles in that movie, right. but you would nominate Peter Sellers as an actor in, in Dr. Strange. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in spe- you know, it's kind of funny because we were, we're, we've been talking a lot about us and also Get Out, and um, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, who was in Get Out is in Queen and Slim, which hmm. they are going to be, you know, I think pushing um, a lot. Mm-hmm. And and this is, uh, you know, I don't mean to come off this way, but this has been a there's there's a a very strong lack of people of color this year in terms of in the conversation. Um, you know, I, I've become much more um, aware of this problem. Uh, you know, and I love the movie Waves. I love the movie Loose, um, both of which is, uh, features uh, strong black performances. Yeah, strong black performances um, that are not really in conversations right now. Uh, and 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 I think you know the poor Harriet movie, which I think uh, Cynthia. Uh, uh, Evavo, I think that's mm-hmm. her name. Is, she's so strong in the movie, but the movie itself is not that sh- not that good. Which, you know. If we're going to hold that against her, then we need to hold that against Renee well, uh, Zellweger for mm-hmm. Judy because it's very similar in terms of that. But um, I'm, I'm starting to notice that. But Queen and Slim, from what I hear, it, it's uh, they, they screen it twice now in L.A. and it's going to have its world premiere at AFI. And I heard Daniel is just is just uh, terrific in this, right. and and it's it's wonder I wonder if he's going to be able to sneak in. Amongst the the five males, which uh, it, right now I think is going to be all white. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. I that's a, it, I think it's a great question, a question that I can't answer without having to seen the movie. And not that he's, I mean, he's an extremely strong actor. He always, once he's on screen, like you're captivated. He's he's got a fantastic presence. Uh, the other, you know, Kevin Harrelson Jr. Yeah, Kelvin, yeah. Kelvin, he he is, again, you know, loose. Why people didn't go out to see that performance. Uh, and then, again, we talk about Waves, uh, which he and um, uh, the gentleman who plays his father in Waves. Um, Sterling, Sterling K. Brown. K. Brown. So good. You know, is as great as a supporting actor. You're right. And... You know, we need to we need people to get to see these movies, um, you know, and as far as Queen and Slim, you know, the, the jury's still out as to whether or not, um, you know, who's going to see the movie um, and what it will do and, and how Universal may try to push it. But you're right. I, I, I agree with you. There it, have been strong performances that to this point, not a lot of people. I, and I want to say this, and I think something is very, this is a very big conversation piece that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. I'm not going to give a proper time today, but it's something that I might actually dive into is that if you have an established director, so for example, if Beale Street could talk, did not do well at all 
financially at the box office, got no buzz outside of our film-going world. But yet, people love Barry Jenkins, and there was a lot of conversation about that movie because people trusted Barry Jenkins. It's the same thing with us. Us and Get Out because people like Jordan Peele. So there's something to be said about you're not hearing that much buzz about Waves yet. Uh, You're not hearing any buzz about Loose. Mm -hmm. And you didn't hear much buzz about Hate You Give last year. No. And, And it's like there's this, it's weird because unless the name becomes a household name mm-hmm. it's for the black community I think that's that's problematic that's another conversation that we need to have on another day when we have a more diverse panel here I agree. to talk about that because I think we get so hung up in Hollywood on names we do instead of you're right Scott you, you could yeah instead of the product and by product I mean instead of the cinematic Instead of what the the art form is up on screen, when you start when you start focusing on names other than this is really good and what you're paying attention to as to what you're not paying attention to, uh, it tends to be that way. And, and I think for a studio, it makes it difficult to market sometimes. But again, when I look at a Waves or even a Queen and Slim, that's a little bit of a, a I have to say, a little bit of a risk mm-hmm. for Universal. Because Daniel himself isn't a like a talent, so to speak, as of yet. Powerful. But what are you hanging your hat on to get? You want to make First money. First time filmmaker, too. Right. So you want to bring people in and, and, and Waves has some good pedigree, both in front and behind the camera, but Again, you're right. We we should we should um, we should celebrate the, the 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 product yeah. for what it is, and and say who cares about the name? These people did a great job, uh, and there should be more. Uh, there should have been more attention to the past those waves and loose as well. Yeah. So we'll see how Queen and Slim does. So moving on from Universal, uh, very briefly, we're going to talk about Paramount because yeah. Paramount really has very briefly only has one film that they're even remotely trying to push for award season, um, except for Terminator, which I think uh, very go in visual effects categories. I don't think anything else for that movie, but visuals I should probably push that movie for. Um, in terms of Paramount, though, Rocket Man, a film that came out in May, did okay at the box office, but I went to an event the other night on the Paramount lot, and then they did a special um, event just yesterday at the Greek Theater. Seems to be, this is a movie where I think the buzz is slowly starting to Coming build back, back up. Coming back up again. Yeah. Yep. And I think kudos to Paramount. Maybe it's, again, they don't have a lot of stuff to push, so they can really put all their money behind this movie. Um, do you foresee it actually getting uh, any categories? I... From the get-go, after watching the movie for the first time, you say Taron for sure. Yeah. And I still believe, and I still stand behind that. Yeah. His performance is fantastic, uh, as well as Jamie Bell's performance. Yeah. Uh, the movie, mm, potentially, here's my thing. For Paramount, it's great that they are now embracing this movie. Yeah. They should have been embracing it throughout the entire summer into this fall. They really should have. Um you know, because it wasn't getting the, like Bohemian Rhapsody kind of came out of nowhere. Like even Fox didn't believe that that movie was going to be what it became, and it came out at a half decent time. But the momentum for Bohemian kept on going, and I'm 
Yes, I'm comparing apples to apples here because they're both biopics <laughs> yeah. in a sense, but they're done very, very differently. Yes. Done within the music world, done with two very different influential people, and they both have a very different feel about them. And I think for Paramount, like they should have just tried to keep the momentum going. Now, God bless Elton John and Taryn for their efforts because they have been around all summer. Oh, yes. Taryn has shown up to Elton John concerts. <laughs> I mean, listen. Yeah. They, yeah have, no. they, have, they have bonded. They have developed this friendship that goes above and beyond where, yes, Taryn will follow him and will show up on stage. And this isn't like, I, I, the way I look at it is, this isn't like a star is born kind right. of where they were actually having concerts and, you know, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, like Taron will just show up, yeah, and and he can sing as well. And I think that's another thing that we should note about Taron. Look, Rami was fantastic. Uh, I think what made Bradley Cooper's performance great is who knew he could sing, yeah, and who knew Taron could sing, yeah. And he does such a great job as Elton John. And the other great thing, and this is where I I think that it could work. The reimagining of the Elton John songs, yes, I think in Rocket Man work because you're not getting a radio version, you're getting brand new versions. Again, it's like listening with brand new ears, you're getting brand new versions of these songs. They're reimagined in such a way that it's great and it gives the musical aspect. And I'm, I'm, from a musical aspect, I mean like the singing and the dancing, not the music itself, but it had this energetic feel to it. The first 15, 20 minutes, I was like, whoa, that was great. It just captured my attention. And Taryn, I think, deserves... And Jamie Bell, I thought, too. Was, yeah. It was his best performance. It's, 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 it's hard because, again, you look at the, the acting and the, the supporting performance in this, and, and this is kind of like the glue that holds the movie together, oh, right? Like, absolutely. I mean, you have you have a a movie that is is, is pretty much made to go on the stage. I, I mean, I, I this yeah. is, would be like one of the easiest adaptations to put on Broadway. That's because, the first thing you said to me. Like, well, you said it to Ashley, yeah, your wife, first. Yeah, yeah. Granted, but then you leaned over to me and said. They're going to make a Broadway show out of it. It literally because it just <laughs> it just feels like yeah. so perfect for the stage. Um, that being said, like I, I seeing the kind of reaction that this movie has received, and I remember I remember everyone really enjoying it. Um, and I know again another one where critics were like, "Well, oh, the performances are better than the movie," kind of thing. And I can see that because you, I think, in order to really really appreciate the movie as a whole, you have to love Elton John. Like, I don't think this is, like, a, a movie where, like, I'm a casual Ellen John fan, so I'm going to go see it. Or I don't know who Ellen John is and pre- preach. I don't know if it, if it has that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, see, for me, a, a really good movie should transcend uh, that. Like, yeah. like um, and, and I think a, a great example of that, well, is Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't think you had to be a Queen fan to really No, that, that movie, movie made Queen fans. Yeah, that, yeah. And, which is funny because right. as much as people shit on that movie... That movie made people queen it, fans. It made it made We Will Rock You in that album number one again, which it broke a record again for 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 being number one album. But again, I, I will hold that same thing to Blinded by the Light. You don't have to be a Bruce Springsteen fan. And Ryan, Ryan yeah. was actually on the Anatomy of a Movie because he is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Yes, indeed. But you don't have to be 
to enjoy the movie. Yes, if you're an Elton John fan, I think you could maybe get a little bit more out of Rocket Man. Same with Blinded, same with Bohemian Rhapsody. But to me, they overcome that because they utilize the music in such a way that maybe on the ride home you might stream either artist to listen to them. And I think Rocket Man 2 overcomes it because just the way that it it, it framed the music, um, I just think that it really works. You didn't necessarily have to be. I think, I'll be honest, though, in making the parallel with Bohemian Rhapsody, which also deals with, 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 with gay relationships... Um, Rocket Man, well, Rocket Man, it's just to put it bluntly, yeah, was yeah. much heavier. It's what people complained wasn't in Bohemian Rhapsody, right. but yet it seemed to turn them away from Rocket Man, yeah. which to me is just like an irony. Like, you can't, where's the middle ground? Like, if you complain about it not being, it's like off. They, they, they could have gone darker or yeah. deeper. And, and then in Bohemian, it's like, oh, I couldn't take it. It's like, well, I don't get it because yeah. Rocket Man, you know, really it doesn't shy away from it, and also the fact too. It should be noted that Elton John so supported. Oh, Rocket he, Man. he, he! I'm telling you, I listened to him speak the other night and tell and hearing about he's he he specific, uh, specifically said three scenes that he he felt so personally moved when he watched them. I can't remember every single one. It was the first time he seen. Uh, Taryn perform and then it was like two other ones one of which was oh one of the relationship uh, problematic relationship with Bernie where they mm. were like fighting he said oh my god that was like so true to life he's mm-hmm. like that moment happened in my life and I think that's the difference between this movie and Bohemian Rhapsody is that the person who the movie was about was actively involved in making the movie mm-hmm. as opposed to Bohemian Rhapsody, whereas like some of the band members were there, but oh, we don't want it to make us look bad, so we're going to support some of this stuff. And, and then it became really stuff. big. It's like, yeah. we're all uh, in. We're all in. <laughs> we're in. Uh, so that's where I think it draws the line. But I think I, I do still see, maybe not the Academy, but I do see... It, I, I feel like it's going to be a lock for musical comedy at Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. And also, I do see Taryn for sure getting it for Golden Globes and possibly Jillian for supporting. You know, I, I hope so. And, you know, Jesus Christ, we, we've got 50 slots, 50 <laughs> best picture slots from the Academy. Yeah. That's why, you know, it could sneak in depending on how many they actually use, which, like, if you have 12, just use 11, 12, for crying out loud. I so know. enough of that. Yeah. Malarkey. Uh, so moving on to the last one real quick, we want to go into uh, Lionsgate. And Lionsgate officially, just, just to put this out there, has one movie that they're pushing, but we're going to bring into a conversation another movie that me and Dimitri deeply, very passionately feel should be in this conversation. But the movie that they, they're pushing right now, and that you probably heard about it because it's been the talk of the town for the last week, is the movie Bombshell, uh, which is directed by Jay Roach uh, and starring Charlize Theron, Margot Robbie, and Nicole Kidman. Uh, I had the the honor of actually seeing it at the second the, the first uh, the second official screening of this movie at the GGA earlier in this week, and uh, I this is the quintessential Me Too movie uh, of this time. I mean, like if if any movie speaks to the Me Too generation, it's this movie. Um, and um, you know, Charlize Theron uh, is is fantastic in it. You. you 
even though it's a very risky and controversial uh, move for her to play Megyn Kelly, uh, I do foresee her getting uh, a lot of love and a lot of praise for this performance. It, but did you find her unrecognizable as Megyn Kelly? I did find her unrecognizable <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Very much so. Um, really <laughs> transformative performance. Which, again, uh, the Academy loves. Which, again, and, and now when you talk about that, and we've talked about that in this show already, we had Ellen John, um, Terry Edgerton as Ellen John, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Lupita and us, and Joaquin, Joaquin and this, and blah, blah, blah. Many this. transformations. Many transformations this year that it's going to be like hard to figure out what they're going to, what they're going to give. Yeah. If you were to ask me personally, it, you know, I know people love Renee Zellweger and Judy and, and, and she's great in it. And that movie, there's, there's elements of it that I really loved. I, again, very similar feelings to that as I felt to Jojo Rabbit, where I just felt like something just needed to be fleshed out more. I would give it a Charlize, personally. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't think the Academy is going to. Really? But I think I would give it to it because I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bold performance. It's, it's someone who's not likable. It's, it's, right. They have history. It's racism and stuff like that. It's not this cookie-cutter like, oh, here's this innocent woman who's been like, you know, sexually assaulted and stuff like that. It's actually someone who's like kind of a jerk. Right. And is not someone who we really ultimately want to root for, but at the same time had something shitty happen to her. Mm-hmm. So it's a conflict with this movie where you kind of like, this person's not the greatest person. But they didn't deserve to have that. They didn't de- right. right. And that's where there's, there's this fine line in the why mm-hmm. I think this movie, especially that character, really kind of stands out. Yeah. And this is the first year in a long time for Lionsgate that they've had anything to push for, for Academy for an awards. Uh, Not I'm really, correct. Lions. Uh, they yeah. did, uh, La La Land. Well, how many years ago was that though? Only, only and it that lost. was Get Out, and it lost. Well, not not in all. Yeah, well, it lost it to lost. the big one, but not it to lost. everything. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> but that was like you know they've. You know, they used to be able to push out 2016, a lot. right? I think so. Yeah. Um, they used to be able to push. Well, there was a time when when there were lots, like almost every year, they had something to nominate with. So, you know, it's good for them uh, to have this bombshell. I think it's coming out again when we look at society. This is set today. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting is how I haven't seen bombshell, but how will Bombshell look to audiences five years from now? Well, let's mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Anything beyond five years, how people will look back yeah. and, and look back at this time period. You know, personally, I'm not sure that history is going to be kind to us. Yes. Um, so uh, it'll be very interesting. So. Yeah. And then the last movie we want to talk about, which is not getting an awards push yet. Maybe they're going to change things, but Knives Out. Which I think should get best picture, best director. Uh, I don't know who you would put in the cast for um, like where they I would do. what, what they would where they oh, would play. I, I think it, it's an ensemble cast, so Crick's choice, our award ceremony. Uh, I think you should definitely push that for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that it's a big missed opportunity if they don't push this movie. I couldn't agree with you more. This still remains my number one movie of the year thus far. Just for just for the mere fact that it entertains. Yes. But it entertains in such a clever, sinister, mis- mystery way. It's a whodunit. And we haven't had a whodunit as this movie. I mean, 
yes, there was murder in the Orient Express, right? Which is a whodunit mystery. Um, but this is more of a throwback to those Agatha Christie's that they did in the 70s yeah. going into the 80s, right? Uh, and it was so well thought out. Uh, it should get screenplay. Oh, yes, yeah. screenplay. Get I totally screenplay. screenplay yeah. uh, it should get direction or misdirection, let's say that. Uh, and performances, I could look at, I could definitely look at Daniel Craig because this is a. This is a like this is one of those performances that he takes his character from Logan Lucky and like just kicks it up notches unknown to mankind as Emerald was as Emerald would say he's just amazing he's he's Hercule Poirot meets Columbo uh, and he's just brilliant as far as the supporting cast uh, well Christopher Plummer is amazing uh, Chris Evans it's so breathtakingly awesome that he's not playing Steve Rogers and that he is this different character. I love to see him out of, he's great as Captain America, but he's he really shines in this movie. Uh, Don Johnson, uh, Tony Collette, uh, um, um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Everybody brings their A game. Nobody falls in the shadow. And the girl um, that's in it, the the lead Character, oh, the girl, the girl oh. from Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. She, she too, is quite amazing, uh, uh, and it puts I a think, spin on the Who Done It. This is why I think, like, I would, to me, if I was running this awards campaign, why I would not try to pin people against one another. No. And that's why I would actually just do it as an ensemble piece. I, I because I but they don't I, do that in the academy. I know they don't do it in the academy, which that that's something that maybe they should talk about and change. Because a lot of other award ceremonies do that, and yes. I think it's important to do that because a cast to work together and all of them to shine, this is a perfect example of that. I haven't seen – there hasn't been a movie like Knives Out. Right. And, and trust me, it does turn the whodunit uh, on, on its heels, and it does it in a fresh – Entertaining way, and yet another movie that holds itself up to today's to, to social topics, uh, and it does it in such an entertaining way from beginning to end. I I was thoroughly one hundred uh, percent entertained, and again, it gets like it definitely gets my high five <laughs> for sure. But Daniel Craig to me, and Ryan and Ryan Johnson, he need director, actor right there, uh, and 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 screenplay. Original screenplay. So, for me, for Lionsgate, it would be a shame not to push any one of those things uh, going on uh, forward for Knives Out. Sounds good. Shame. Sounds good, right? Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I I agree. I think it's. I'm shocked that right now it's not on their awards. Original screenplay. I know. What is more original? I mean, Parasite. Right. Right. If you want to say foreign film, yes. But from American from 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 an American standpoint, original screenplay at the very least. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's it for this episode, Dimitri. Where can they find hey, you? Hey, well, thank you for again for having me on. I love this kind of talk. You can find me here on Popcorn Talk Networks, uh, uh, Anatomy of a Movie, which we're back. We're actually getting around to uh, filming our Joker Part Two. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters uh, at Dimitri Panos and uh, an occasional uh, co-host on 
Meet the Movie Press, all here on the Popcorn Talk Network. Sounds good. You can find me over here, of course, on Film Critics Weekly. You can find me at Meet the Movie Press. Also today on Anatomy of Movie, which you should just stay tuned right now because it's coming on now. So uh, thank you so much for watching, and we'll continue our award season talk next week. Thanks for watching. Take care. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.